0: Hello Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 363 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 23rd, 2015. We've got a big show for you this week. Coming off spring break, we're going to talk to Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde about what's going on and what you can expect from the last few weeks of USC Spring Football. We've got a lot of questions to get to, and we love to hear from you. Podcast at USCfootball.com is the email address. If you want to email us a question, Or you can call us two different ways, 206-888-6755, or our website, peristylepodcast.com. Either way, please leave a brief message, and we'd love to play it on the air and answer your question with Coach, myself, or Dan Weber. And without further ado, we're bringing in Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach?
1: Well, here we go, buddy. Another week of spring football at USC. Uh, Was it good? Was it bad? They had a bye week so early in the spring practice, I, I don't know, I, I can tell you my experiences if you ask, but it's good to uh, be back. I'm sorry I missed last week, I had to be in Vegas for a March Madness, uh, the start of March Madness is absolutely huge in Vegas, in fact, during the the period of that week from Thursday through Sunday... There's more people and more generation as far as in the revenue uh, area of gaming than there is for the entire Super Bowl, which everyone probably already knows that. So I was up there not wagering, not wagering, but I still got a few teams in there, Ryan. I still got a few teams in there. I've got a couple that are gone, too. I want you to know that. (laughs) More than a couple, to be honest with you. But, uh, yeah, it's great to be back with you. And uh, With the buy of spring practice, really, there wasn't that much to – Talk about uh, not seeing spring practice, but now this week we're back in it.
0: All right. Well, coach, I want to thank our sponsor before we jump into all that Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. It's real simple email, I mean, a real simple web address. If you want to go to sctickets.com, they can hook you up or you can call them at 1 800 888 7287. You want to get some Clippers tickets or some Lakers tickets as the season winds down? Anything, baseball starting up pretty soon, sctickets.com. They can help you out. So we thank uh, thank them over there, and Coach, you you talked about the bye week, quote unquote bye week of spring football. It's kind of interesting. They took a week off, really ten days, for spring break. And Steve Sarkeesian likes to do this. They actually started spring practice at least a week or so early this week too this year. Um, so not you know just about a month or so after signing day, you get the you know spring ball starting, and they spread it out over a six week period, five weeks of practice and one uh, week of spring break. But I wanted to see what you think of that week off and is it hard to kind of get back into the same rhythm and, and what are the coaches are doing on this off week? I just want to kind of get your thoughts on taking that week off for spring, during spring football.
1: Well, uh, Ryan, when I had spring practice, I didn't like the break. Uh, I like to try to schedule our spring practice around spring vacation. I didn't like to break in between. It's like cramming for a test. And before you take the test, you take off ten days before you take the test. Well, you've got to go back and review if you've got uh, the path, if you want to pass this test and get up to where you remember everything on what's going on. Plus, you know, you could talk about that. Yes, I worked out during the entire uh, spring break and I didn't forget. You know, forget what I needed to do. But you know, realistically, let's be honest. The coaches, the players, they want to rest their minds. Physically, they want to rehab they get away from it and and you're not as sharp and you really got to come back the first first couple of days of spring practice and show the videos again and get motivated again and get back in the shape uh mentally and physically and uh, get into the what i call the routine and uh i didn't like taking a break uh, i used to schedule we just went Uh, four straight weeks, and, man, we pounded it out. We got it done. It was like the season, regular season. You survived through it. You you conditioned through it. And then you had a little bit more time off for what I call the off-season programming, which is where you condition yourselves. You get bigger. You get smaller. You rehab if you're hurt. And what happens, I've always said there's more off-season time than there is regular season time, so you have a better chance of getting better during the off season than you do during the season. As far as bigger, stronger, faster rehabbing, getting yourself academically, uh, you know, strong in your classes uh, for the period of time that you need to spend during the football season itself. So uh, sometimes you just can't do that. Now don't get me wrong. Sometimes you just because of the programming schedules, and I don't know what it is at USC as far as, you know, tests and, and all those things where the semester ends and all of that. But I like to do it that way and that's the way I always used to do it. I mean we used, we used to go four days a week, uh, for five weeks or five days a week, you know, with a Friday off before we scrimmaged every Saturday and we scrimmaged every Saturday. That's how you learn to play football. You just learn it, the scrimmage and you learn to hit people and run around and you learned uh, you have officials there, and, you know, like the new rules that are in football now currently, you know, targeting and all of these things, if you don't practice it live, then you're going to get called on it during the season because you haven't been able to really work with what the new rule changes have been. So uh, that's where I look at it. Uh, there's different ways of doing it, but that's the way I like doing it because I really felt like your scrimmage or your practice for two weeks, that's cramming for an exam. Then you take off of time, and you come back, and you've got to, again, study again to get back into it.
0: Uh, all right. Thanks for that, Coach. Let's, uh, we'll jump into some of these questions now. Dennis Lancaster had a couple, and one he wanted to ask about the Pro Day. I know we talked about this a little bit before, but um, from USC Pro Day, do you think that Nelson Aguilar, Buck Allen, and George Farmer did enough to help them improve their draft positions?
1: Uh, I do. I think the one that helped himself the most with George Farmer. I, I have talked to a couple of pro scouts and Texans pro scouts that I know or coach with me, and I remember the same type of comments I made with Terrell Davis, who uh, I coached, and uh, you know there was a lot of question marks if he could play in the NFL. And I told him, hey, take this guy. Like I told him, hey, take this guy named Randall Cunningham. And I think George Farmer has that same type of potential. He's the fastest guy, fastest time at pro day, physically strong, uh, was the number one re- receiver in the country when he came out of high school. You know, yes, he's been hurt, but he had not played that much. He's going to continually get better. Boy, I wish he'd have come back to SC. I mean, he, he's going to be a force. I really do. So I think he's a steal. So I really think he really helped himself. I think Buck Allen helped himself, too, as far as uh, uh, with his hands and and the way he runs. You know, running backs now are not a priority, really. He's not going to be a first-round pick, but down the road somewhere, he's going to get picked in third, fourth, or fifth round, somewhere in there, depending how uh, the team's need. And Nelson Aguilar, I always knew, could play, okay? if you if you can't figure out Nelson Aguilar is an athlete, then you really shouldn't be coaching football. You should be a librarian. Uh, <laughs> nothing against any librarians. Okay, I didn't mean to. Huh? I really shouldn't say that. I mean, but get myself in trouble here. But Nelson's a great football player. I think if anything, what's hurt Nelson is not what he's doing now, but the number of times he's been hit. Yeah, i never for one guy getting those many turns or those many reps or those many hits and those many different things he did, punt, return, kickoff, return, this, that, everything, and the number of passes he caught. Your body can only take so many collisions. It's like a car accident. How many car accidents can you have and survive without it really taking a toll on you with the size and the speed of these players and how they hit each other Uh, your body starts to wear out. Now, it may wear out a little bit earlier with guys like Marquise Lee and Robert Woods and Nelson Aguilar when you're catching 100 passes in a year. I mean, that's a career almost type of thing. So that's the only thing, but as far as drafting him, I think he's a great football player. So I think all three of them have great potential and a great future, and I really wish that... uh, uh, (laughs) How can I say this? They came back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Dennis had one more question for you. He said, since some of look, has looked good in spring practice, do you believe he could slim down and possibly make a run at getting in the rotation in the fall? I think he's talking about the running back uh, rotation. Fight on and love the show.
1: Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, he's a Lendell type of guy. I mean, if he got rotations. Now, what the key is, the term this gentleman just used, rotation, that means he's playing. He's getting the feel of carrying the football and reading the offensive line and reading the defenses and pounding on people and getting used to being tackled and breaking tackles and wearing down the defense where they say, man, I'm beat up, the defensive player, the secondary says, I want to tackle that guy anymore. Then, yeah, he could be a real force in the rotation, you call it, of USC offense as a running back. But you have to have belief in that. And you have to understand he's got to carry the ball a number of times to make that effective as far as with the timing of the offensive line, him pounding the defense, and making that happen, I really do, so yeah, I think he'd be very effective. He's a big, strong, he's a winner, man. Uh, let's face it, he's a winner. I talk to his parents every week before the game, they come over to the pregame show and hang out, and I go over and talk to him. They're such lovely people, and he's come up with uh, So, man, I' tell you, I talk with him about how they raised him he's He's a superstar, okay. But you've got to believe, and he's got to know that they believe in me. And the team's got to know when he goes in, it's not just a one-play thing or, oh, he's just playing, but someone's hurt. Hey, you got to let him, Hey, this Lindell White, the second, or maybe better, with a different attitude. And you let it happen. Yeah, I think he could be a force. Okay.
0: All right. Um, thanks for that one. Let's see. Tarek had a question, and we can kind of discuss – Uh, some of these guys who are out for the spring. Um, Of all the players who are injured and not practicing, who do you think needed this spring the most? And I'll give you a few names, Coach, that are are guys that are out, like Anthony Soraya with the foot. He's out. Chad Wheeler coming back from from knee. Uh, Trey Madden, who hasn't really done much, might see some some action a little bit later on uh, now that they're after spring break. Uh, Jabari Ruffin not doing much either. Antoine Woods is, you know, has he's been out and and Greg Townsend. Who I didn't realize was going to be out, but he's been out as well. So anyone on that list that stand out to you, or anyone else you can think of that uh, really could have used this spring football.
1: Well, you've listed uh, them, and there probably are others. Uh, let me tell you, every single one of them could use spring practice. There isn't one that needs it more than the other. They all needed it now, not for the same reason. Not for experience as far as playing. Serrano's played a lot of football, but he needs to be out there. Ruffin needs to be out there. Townsend needs turns. Townsend had great potential but never had, never been healthy as far as I can remember. Woods needs it because he needs to move and stay in shape physically. Uh, you can say you're in shape, but you're not in shape unless you're practicing. Running up and down a riding bikes on the sideline doesn't get it done. They're swimming in the swimming pool or whatever they're having them do. Football is a football. Is, is the way you play football is you play it. So every single one of those guys you mentioned all need spring football. That's why they have spring football, to review mentally, to get your timing down, to uh, play the game. and and get ready for the fall. So when you say which one the most needs it, they all need it, maybe for different reasons, but they all are behind where they should be by not participating in spring practice. That's how I can answer that.
0: And I agree, Coach, and I I think like a a Chad Wheeler is unique because – you know, having a new position coach, I mean, you'd love to be around doing, you know, going through the drills uh, from Bob Connolly. He can't do that because he's out for the spring like a Trey Madden. There's I mean, he started off last season on fire, but I think you you just want to see him kind of healthy. And so it'll be interesting to see if he does come back these next few weeks and, and gets more turns when as far as uh, contact goes, uh, we just haven't seen that yet so far. And like a guy like a Jabari Ruffin, people expect him to come in and and take one of those spots on the outside and and do that, but you know we haven't got to see much from him either. So a lot of these, I mean, I agree with you. All of them could use it for different reasons, but some of them, I, and you really want, you know, we kind of know what Antoine Woods can do. He certainly could use spring football, but uh, a Jabari Ruffin, or, you know, I, I think someone like him, it, you know, just would be invaluable being able to get more reps in, in spring football.
1: Oh, you never can get too many reps. You really can't because playing the game of football, the timing, the pursuit angles the reading, uh, being a team, uh, participating in different new techniques that are being taught, all of the above, all of them. I mean, when you have off as long as some of these guys have had off, like Chad Wheeler, he had played for a long time. What was it, the second game of the year he was injured? That's a long time ago. Uh, so you got to get back. you got to get it strong. You've got to get your timing. I'll tell you, some of these young players have come along, and I don't know if he, he is the best. Not that I'm saying he shouldn't be, but, but uh, who knows who's the best now yeah. at left tackle? or What is the best combination of, of the offensive linemen? Same with the linebackers and all of the above, uh, both those linebackers. You know, they've got some quality freshman linebackers coming in. These guys have got to get better. They might be sitting and watching. And Towns has been injured. He's got to learn to prove that he can play or play hurt. And Woods, uh, you know, you've got to continue getting better every year. Uh, you can't just play the same level all the time, and you need to be a leader out there so there's a lot of different reasons why these kids should be out there uh not that I'm saying they're trying to avoid being out there, but the question was which one should be there the most and I say they all should be there
0: and then you look at the other side of the coin coach, a guy like Lamar Dawson, who's been you know just couldn't come back from injury last year just wasn't it just didn't work and now is back and he's been one of the bigger stories of spring football by being out there and and you know he can come in and, and play one of those inside linebacker spots so he's been kind of surprised so someone for for him spring football has been you know extremely important
1: certainly has and uh, i think the biggest improvement i've seen with lamar dawson is attitude as far as looking like he wants to play the game, and he wants to be aggressive, and his body's flying around, and I think that's what you see, you know, you can watch a player and see if he's got the right attitude of caring. if he misses a tackle, if he's going full speed across the field, even though the play's not even near him, trying to get in the action, so, you know, you watch a guy, and you, you say, who plays 100% on every single play, not 110 there's no people say, "Yeah, hey, I want 110 percent." There's no, such, there's no such thing as 110 percent. It's a hundred on every single play, and when you come out, I know you've given it to me. You brought your game, and I think the attitude of of some of these players too is is I hope any uh, none of them that are that are not in spring practice are saying, "Oh, I can get another week. I need to rest another week," when really they should be out there.
0: All right, Coach, we got one last question for you from Melvin. Um, In comparing USC's offense to an offense like Ohio State, do you think quarterbacks are more easily replaceable in a system like Ohio State's system versus USC's systems? I ask because I'm still amazed that Coach Urban Meyer can bring in a third-string quarterback and win the conference championship game, the national semifinal, and the national championship game on such short notice and lack of game experience. Can we win with a Max Brown and or Jalen Green if Cody Kessler were to go down with an injury?
1: Well, let's say it this way. First of all, Ohio State's quarterbacks are talented and they're different types. They're big physical type of quarterbacks that love to run and love to punish. And maybe you have to say you shouldn't run as much. They love it. And their offense is far more simplified than what USC says. It isn't a, it isn't a complicated type of offense. hey, we're pretty physical. we got Elliott, a running back. He never wants to come out of the game. The offensive line was all brand new last year, but yet look at the way they continually got better during the year. The quarterbacks are all big, strong, tough kids. It could be tight ends, the linebackers. Could play a lot of different types of positions on the football team. Now, I can't see... Cody Kessler being a linebacker. I can't see Mark Mac Brown being a tight end. Or not. Not that these kids aren't great athletes, but they fit certain systems. The Ohio State style of football on offense is physicalness. Physicalness. They they don't mind running their their quarterbacks. They don't want them to run all the time. But when they run, man, they they don't slide. These guys want to run over you. And I think that's uh, the difference mainly of the Ohio State offense and the USC offense is they're not technicians as much. They are technicians, but not to the extent of complications and so on of what USC is as far as this and that and all this and that. They just line up and say, hey, we're coming here. What are you going to do about it? If you're going to try to tackle us, that's fine. But they run off tackle, they trap, they lead through. They do all kinds of different types of physical types of running with their power offense and their quarterback who can back it up too with the same type of thing. And they're not afraid to run right up the middle and get their first down whenever they need it. How many times did Ohio State last year, third and nine, when their quarterbacks would make it and run for 10 or 11 yards? All the time. That's not really the thought in the USC offense. The thought in the USC offense is more technique, system, the quarterbacks aren't supposed to run, and if you do run, you're going to slide. And they're not the same type of athlete that are uh, physical type of kids that the Ohio State quarterbacks are. I think that's the best way of explaining it. I don't know if you understood what I said, but I hope you did.
0: I did, Coach, and thank you for that. And uh, thanks for that question, Melvin. And uh, thanks for coming on the show again, Coach. We're looking, you know, the week off, so it's a little slow, but we're looking forward to uh, seeing you out at USC Spring Football this next week, and I'll talk to you on Monday again about what you saw.
1: you got a big guy, and I want to thank everyone out there for uh, listening, sending your questions in, and I'll talk to you next week, too, and I'll see you out at spring practice.
0: All right, sounds good. Thanks, uh, Coach, and everyone else. Back in a minute, we're going to talk to uscfootball.com. Beat writer Dan Weber.
3: Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast.
2: Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with them, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? We'll go there right now
3: we now return to the peristyle podcast and your host ryan abraham
0: we are back on the peristyle podcast we have uscfootball.com beat writer dan weber joining the show what's up dan how you doing
3: pretty good pretty good it's- ready to get back back at it uh, tuesday
0: yeah, so week off for spring break, early ten days off for spring break, and now we get back to practices. The whole six practice thing, take a week off, come back with nine practices. So still a lot of spring practice to go, um, and we want to. We'll just jump right into these questions, Dan, because we got a lot of uh, um, a lot of people asking about what's going on with the team um, from spring practice. We'll kind of describe what we've observed. The first one's from Melvin, and it's actually with Special Teams. He wants to know, has someone emerged as the number one place kicker since Andre Hadari has graduated? How does this new kicker look this spring?
1: Well, uh,
3: I would give him the edge just because of his, you know, his scholarship and his live leg, but, uh, but they're really doing a two-man. Uh, you know, Matt Bormeister, the blue-shirt lefty from San Diego with the big leg <clears throat> and uh, who red-shirted. Uh, this past year, and Alex Wood, who, you know, won the kickoff job duties and has been available the last couple of years, uh, kicked some extra points, uh, accurate, has has really, because of his kickoff duties, increased his length as well. He's not going to kick it quite as, you know, far out as, uh, say, a Bormecer who looks like his natural, you know, with his natural leg swing, has about a fifty five yard range uh he's got a, you know when you have a big big you know kick big wide kick uh um, you may not be you know always uh you know perfect down the middle but uh but i think uh you know i think they're gonna go with the two man um you know competition i think it worked well with andre hardari i think alex always was there pushing him and uh i think you know i think I think they're looking good, in terms of uh, you know where the you know the field goal situation is going to be. Uh, I'm I'm real impressed with uh, with both of them. Alex has done a great job, you know, since uh, a couple of years ago stepping in when Andre got hurt on a kickoff return coverage situation, and uh, you know he's just another one of the the walk-ons that have been so valuable, you know, for this USC team over over the last few years.
0: Yeah, lots of valuable walk-ons. Uh, we we didn't have a question about this, but maybe do a talk real quick about Connor Spears and, and what he's done.
3: Well, I mean, he's uh, he just looks like he belongs out there. I mean, if, if somebody didn't tell you, you know, this is a, kid's a walk, you know a walk-on transfer from Columbia, you'd have no idea that that's what he is. I mean, he's 6'6", 240. He probably could put on a few pounds. He catches the ball in, in traffic. He just looks like he belongs out there, and he's running – you know, been running with the first team all spring. And, uh, he just looks, you know, looks like a natural. And, uh, again, you know, just, uh, you know, he's really a valuable addition to this program, uh, you know, without Bryce Dixon and, um, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, that tight end spot that, uh, you know, needs, uh, you know, needs, uh, you know, needs bodies. And then you get one that it looks like he can play, uh, I don't know. We've seen him get down and and block enough to know uh, how they're going to, you know, how he, uh, you know, impacts the run game. Uh, And I think that's the kind of stuff they're trying to decide now during the, you know, the 10 days off, uh, what all this means, you know, going forward for the offense. But, uh, yeah, they have that that kid, uh, you know, kind of come in out of the blue and be able to, you know, be able to play is uh,
0: pretty amazing. Uh, okay, let's see. We're going to go to Terry, and he has the next question for you, Dan. He said, I realize the positions are far from being set, but could you clarify for me which two or three players appear to be vying for the rush end position and the four players who have a good chance of playing at the two defensive end positions? Please include any incoming freshmen that you believe could possibly make this list. Thanks for all this Thanks to all the staff for the great work and Dan, I can't wait for the emails to hit the light of day. Terrian.
3: <laughs> yeah. Uh I may this might be a good time to mention that. Uh Tar- and, uh I just got off the phone with the uh the Court of Appeals actually this morning. Uh, the NCA did hit their deadline. They had been extended two days to Friday and they did submit the Friday a letter uh, outlining what material that they would uh Uh, including their appeal and uh, it goes before the court now for review, whether they have to actually act on it or just accept it. Uh, They weren't a hundred percent clear, but uh, um, you know, the the last thing I was told was that um, uh, you uh, stay tuned uh, the material that, uh, you know, once it's unsealed, it will be available to the public. So, and how that all works, and they weren't able to explain how it works, the back and forth between Todd McNair's lawyers and the NCAA's lawyers. Uh, I mean, I don't think Todd McNair's lawyers are going to take back anything. So I think you know, their material you know, does go forward. Um, the NCAA, I don't think, submitted all that much of the damning material. So them taking back some things, I don't know that it impacts uh, – you know the amount of uh, of emails we're going to see. As far as the the ends and all, I think we haven't seen enough to have a really good sense. I mean, uh, for example, um, if you're looking at you know uh, how they're going to how they're going to line up, I'm not even going to start putting people into positions because I don't even think we know for sure who all is going to you know be in in what spots exactly uh i think the final three weeks you know will determine that but i'm probably and i'm absolutely i don't think i want to start you know jumping in there with trying to guess what freshmen are going to work their way in and all of that but i do think you know the um i think those edge positions are the you know the key positions you know on this defense i think uh, i've got a a pretty good you know sense of uh, inside linebackers and in uh, the down linemen, and uh, kind of a rotation that you know that they're hoping you know to be able to do, and and we see an expanding secondary, but I think it's that you know uh, you know the rush end, for example. I don't know. I, I really flat out uh, not even gonna uh, until we get a chance to see them play more in pads and more real. You know, scrimmage kinds of situations. Uh, I think I'm going to let that, let that just, you know, let that just develop because I don't have as good a feel, you know, for that as almost any other position on the team. I don't know if Ryan does or not, but uh, I'm going to kind of let that go and see where they end up with.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're still got to see what Jabari Ruffin's going to do, and you know, Greg Townsend's been out. There's a lot of, I think, question marks there, and we just don't know what the incoming freshman coming in. So I think that's. To me Dan that's going to be like early fall camp we'll we'll know a lot more.
3: Yeah, I think and there are so many different ways they can go in terms of how they want to play it and who they want to play and all of that I think that's why you have you know spring ball. I don't think I think and and I like this. I think personally you know, you don't want to come up with an early answer. You don't want to be penciling guys in, you know, to those positions because you can play it different ways. I mean, they need obviously you need somebody that can play in space and somebody that's big enough and physical enough and, you know, all the, you know, all the things you need. You need, you know, uh, somebody like Devon Kennard by the time he was a, you know, a senior, I think. And uh, who gets there? I don't think we've seen anybody yet who exactly fills that that spot. Uh, So I think uh, it's up to those guys to decide. You know where they go and what the pecking order is and how they play, uh, how they play out there. So, uh, let's, just, uh, let's just let that one, that one develop.
0: Okay. Uh, we actually had another question on the defensive line uh, uh, audio question, so I'll play that one for you.
2: Here we go. JD from DC with a question for Dan about uh, D-line development between junior and senior years. It seems to me there's a lot of. Uh, enthusiasm that we're going to see some kind of dramatic improvement some, from some of the players already on the roster to uh, replace Leonard Williams. Uh, when I look back historically, I don't really see evidence for that. The only guys I can think of who made, you know, really substantial leaps between their junior and senior years at SC on the D-liner, guys like Dejon Harris, perhaps Jarrell Casey. Um don't know if I'm missing anybody offhand, but, you know, even guys like uh Nick Perry and uh BKU I mean I think we saw greatness uh or, or at least some magic in most of these players who really uh broke out their senior years already so uh basically what I'm saying here is I think what you see is what you can get already from their current D-line players that we saw on the field a lot last year
3: well I guess my my take on that would be uh last year wasn't set up in a way that you were going to see and the way they play you know the, their defensive responsibilities were not geared to uh having guys stand out i mean Leonard Williams did so on his own on his this year absolute you know uh unbelievable skill set and you know willingness to but even he probably uh didn't get a chance to shine as much as as he had the year before um so <clears throat> the system wasn't geared to making it obvious who could play and what they could do because, you know, they're trying to, you know, basically hold their, hold their spot and, you know, take up blockers and, um, you know, free the linebackers, you know, to make the play. So um, it didn't go the way, you know, that it would jump out at you that maybe the way it had in, in the past where it was so obvious uh, who could play. So, and I, I like their theory that they're going to improve as a group, and that includes the coaches. It includes the schemes, and I think it's one of those things that, you know, where everybody has to improve to get better. They are they're playing with more enthusiasm. They're playing with more responsibility, you know, for, their, for what they're doing out there. Uh, I think they get it. Uh, I think what we don't know is how good can they be. I mean, I think we've seen at times, we've seen in an Antoine Woods, it looks like he could make a play, or, or Cody Temple at nose tackle. But we don't always see that. We don't always see them affecting, you know, the game. We've seen, you know, occasionally with Delvon Simmons or, or Claude Pilon. Uh, but we don't always see that. Uh, if we get a situation where, you know, there's a, a deeper rotation, if Kenny Bigelow uh, really uh, develops the physical kinds of movement skills that he needs to be able to disengage and to make plays, uh, the flexibility that he needs as a group, I think, uh, is how I'm going to look at this defensive line. Not so much as individuals and, you know, when you start comparing them, to, you know, the USC past, you're comparing, you know, guys to a lot of, you know, All-Americans and first-round draft picks and NBA you know real successes in the you know n f l excuse me uh, and and you don 't necessarily see that with this group, but i wouldn 't rule it out uh, I think we didn't get a real good look at uh, you know so i 'm not sure I totally agree that what we saw last year is what we 're going to get this year i 'm willing to give them and their coaches a chance to to show us that 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 wasn 't the case so much that uh, you know they're not going to have those games where they just seem like they take off. Uh, that they're going to be able to play, and that they're going to be able to, you know, scheme-wise, be turned loose to uh, to make more plays. I think the, the the key on defense for me is figuring out ways to get your players to make plays. I think that was the genius of, of Pete's system was the freeing defenders to make plays, and uh, I think it's it's the real challenge for um, you know for Justin Wilcox is to figure exactly how do we do
1: that
0: all right uh excuse me there let's go to Frank he says what if any strides have been made so far in spring practice where coach Sark the play caller works on his game clock management last season it seemed that he lost track of the game clock in the last five to ten minutes where he looked like he wasn't sure what plays the call to quote-unquote, kill the clock. Looking forward to seeing the Trojans in the playoffs next season. As always, fight on. Thank you for your time. Frank.
1: Well,
3: I think you could replicate it to some extent. I think one of the ways they've done that is by the finishing practice with five plays. I mean, part of that is uh, on both the offense and defense, uh, you know, with the, uh, the realization that, you know, you've just got five plays and you've really got to make them count on both sides and, you know, the way that didn't happen so much last year. Um, so you see that. You see him, you know, playing with, a, you know, an urgency and a kind of a time, uh, you know, situation at those points. I don't think – you don't see a lot of clock management other than that kind of thing, but I do think there's an awareness of what didn't happen last year at all levels. Uh, I mean, we're never probably going to know exactly – what the the inner workings are between, say, Clay Helton and and Sark. And that'll probably, however it goes, will be smoothed out, you know, from the first year. But, yeah, you're right. And and on offense and defense both, there were some issues as to, you know, what do we want to do and how do we, you know, how do we get it, you know, communicated, you know, to the players to do it. And um, I I think that'll be better – just by going forward, uh, just naturally, just, you know, those things have a way of you know smoothing out. But I do like the fact that Sartes decided, you know, they're going to think about that every single uh, practice, where you finish up with uh, you know with the urgency of this is it, you know, you got five plays, and I think on both sides of the ball, you really have to do it right.
0: All right, thanks for that one. Let's go to JJB. He says, Thanks so much for the podcast. You spoke about the McNair case last week. I guess I'm asking you to speculate here, but assuming that the emails, (coughs) excuse me, guys, (coughs) sorry about that, Uh, that uh, assuming that the emails are released to the public, what should we expect to find in those emails that would be of interest to USC fans? Who want the world to know how corrupt the NCAA is and how badly USC got screwed? Fight on from JJB. Well,
3: my take on this, and and I'll I have to say this, you know, there's a gag order, and the attorneys have really abided by it. I mean, they have just, they're just nobody's talking about any of this. But from just what you what you saw in the, you know the material that was released in, um, in Judge Schaller's court and on which, you know, upon which he based his decision, uh, you would see three staff members of the NCA Committee on Infractions, three staff members <clears throat> who were not supposed to be involved in the deliberations, who by NCA bylaws are not allowed to be involved in the deliberations, who – when it was brought up that it appeared that they were on appeal by USC, the NCA absolutely testified, declared that these people were not, that they did not have anything to do with the decision and how it was made, that they did not have the ability to interact, that they were maintaining their uh, neutrality. I think the emails will show that that's completely false. And I think the pattern of the emails will show you that the NCA has been doing it that way for years and years and years and didn't think twice about it. And whenever push came to shove and someone said, well, it looks like other people were involved in this decision besides just the members of the Committee on intractions, the NCA say, would say, oh, no, 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 all they were doing was proofreading it. Or all they were doing was correcting typos or whatever. I think that will get blown to blown to smithereens. They, they obviously were judge, jury, and executioner. They were the people that were saying Todd McNair was guilty. Todd McNair has to be uh, destroyed. Todd McNair has to be kept out of college football. Uh, USC is guilty because Todd McNair blah 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 all of the things that on appeal they said oh no we don't do those things well yeah they do and they've been doing them and now they're caught that's that's i think the the, the general gist of of what you know that they were you know dishonest and that they didn't do what they said they were supposed to do and um and you know they they felt like I mean, we've heard testimony from people who heard one of the members of the Committee on Infractions at an alumni gathering at her her organization or her university said that, you know, that uh, a small group of people took this prosecution and pushed it to a place where they didn't realize it was gone and then it was too late to do anything about it. I think that's what you'll you'll get a general picture of as to how it happened, how it got where it got, and who did it. And uh, I know it's been, you know, fashionable to, to really come down on members of the Committee on Infractions. I think, actually, they were more <clears throat> bystanders in this process that went, around, went along, uh, you know, around them. And then all they did at the end was uh, said, okay, we'll go along with it. But, uh, but I think that's what's going to come out is the fact that people who decided this case weren't supposed to decide the case. And when, they were, when it was said in the appeal that they were involved in doing that, the NCAA said, no, 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 they didn't do that. Well, I think this will prove that, yes, they did do that.
0: They did. All right. Well, we should know some more pretty soon. Uh, we got a few basketball questions, Dan. We're going to end the podcast on that. Um, so a lot of interest in the basketball team, which is kind of interesting. We haven't seen that too much, so let's uh, – I don't know if it's well, or- You
3: know what the whole year this is interesting. I I'm more interested in the NCAA tournament this year than I've been for a while. Yeah. Obviously the TV viewers are more interested. The ratings are ridiculous. They've gone, you know, through the through the roof. I mean, uh and I I'm not exactly certain why. I've talked to people about it. Nobody everybody agrees there's more interest, and <clears throat> nobody seems to know exactly why that is. But this is a year where the NCAA basketball tournament has bounced back. And, again, it's at one of those moments where you think, man, it'd be fun if you were part of that. You yeah. know, if you were a UFC guy and you could be kind of excited the way, you know, much of the rest of the country is.
0: I think the regular season to me, Dan, is not as interesting anymore at all. But the, it, I think that makes the tournament more exciting. But it's just, you know, you don't know players' names on different teams. You don't know who their coaches are. It's just there's so much – it's just so watered down, I think, right now in the regular season, unless you follow one team specifically. But just watch it. I can't even watch, like, regular season college basketball anymore. And then tournament time – That's a really good point. And
3: and I do think, you know, there are people coming up with, you know, suggestions as to how to change that. For example, instead of making the tournament champion – uh, the automatic n c a bid you know uh, you know get the automatic n c a bid make the uh, regular season champion as it is in you know football uh, said so that the regular season starts to matter again, uh, I think that would be you know one way to do that but but you 're right uh, I think the other thing, and people don 't take this into consideration <clears throat> uh, the numbers say that there while well, there 's four billion dollars uh, bet annually on the super bowl there's nine billion that on the ncaa tournament think about that more than double now it goes for three weeks and and there are a whole lot of games and I, i will say this going to the four tv outlets so that every single game is televised from beginning to end has made a big difference i don't think there's any any question about that but uh that nine billion dollars that's wagered on the NSA basketball tournament because <clears throat> I think people know how important that has been to the NFL and its development, and uh, now uh, you know it, it's an absolute factor in uh, in the interest in college basketball. It
0: certainly is. Uh, well, we do have a few USC questions, so I'll play you the first one. It's a voicemail.
3: Yes, this is Richard D USC basketball fan. I'd like to make a direct statement from Pat Hayden from the state of Troy this week. I quote, unlike football, where you need to bring in 15 to 20 good players a year to stay competitive, basketball just relies on two or three. And we have two talented 6 foot 10 big men coming in next year to help. I would expect to see a major leap next year in our men's basketball program. I'd like Dan's comments on that, and uh, what do you think of Hayden's statement,
2: and uh, where do we go next year? Thanks a lot. Bye.
3: Yeah, I think uh, to our USC basketball fan, uh, <clears throat> I think he's making it clear. I think he's basically saying, you know, he's got next year, and uh, I think reading between the lines and just reading the Pat's face at basketball games, he wasn't very happy. I mean, how could you be? Uh, that was not a good. That was not a good year, and that, a team that had the number twelve recruiting class in the nation. <laughs> Coming in this year, with two pretty decent transfers <clears throat> who became eligible, so you know, that gives you six new players. And and you know we can all talk about you know Nicola this and Nicola that, but you know Andy was extremely uh, high on Nicola, and uh, and Julian Jacobs, you know, athletically the two players he you know got le- were left over from um, you know recruits from uh, uh, Kevin O'Neill. So that's a basic eight player nucleus, uh, and it just didn't happen much for this team. And I look at, for example, last December, December a year ago, <clears throat> uh, U- USC goes into Dayton and beats a Dayton team <clears throat> on a buzzer beater, a Dayton team that would go on to the Elite Eight and then come back this year with just six players and still almost get to the Sweet Sixteen. And I look at where did that Dayton team go after that USC loss in the past, you know, whatever, 14 months, and where did USC basketball go from that game in the past 14 months? And I look at, you know, Dayton with Archie Miller, Sean's little brother as a coach, and I think, wow, Dayton's gotten a whole lot more out of their program and their players than USC has. And that's all you can ask is, Here's who you've got. Make them the best you know team they can be. Hopefully they'll play with confidence. Hopefully they'll know what they're doing. And, of course, you know, they're not big enough and strong, strong enough. But you can have a sense of who you are, how you win games, how you defend people, you know, where you have to stand to rebound the basketball, for example. Like if you're behind the basket, you can't rebound. You know, that kind of just basic stuff that – you just wondered what, what the heck is going on and are they getting better? I know, you know, there are differences of opinion. I didn't see for a young team. I think you expect more progress from the beginning to the end of the year and more a sense of this is who we are. This is how we win games. Didn't see that very much. I think what Pat was saying is that better happen next year. It absolutely better happen. And, uh, and we'll see. Uh but you basically you add these two. I was looking at you know, I think everybody in the country has them listed as you know, if not both of them, the two recruits uh top fifty guys. Uh almost every I think recruiting evaluation service has them at least one of them in the top fifty. Uh and both of them in the top hundred for sure. And uh I mean, uh, you know, Benny Boatwright, probably the best shooting big man in the country. I don't think he's even a question. He's just an amazing – now, whether, you know, is that a curse or not, to have a 6'10 kid who's, you know, the best thing he does is shoot from 25 feet. Uh, and then uh, Chemezi uh, Metu uh, looks like he uh, has taken seriously some of the maybe, uh, you know, comments that he's got a world of athletic ability, hasn't played a lot of basketball – But can he play hard, you know, for the whole game? Uh, Certainly the other night against, uh, gosh, I'm trying to think who they beat in the the championship game where he has 24 points and 16 rebounds and however many block shots. I'm trying to think what the number is. He's a terrific athlete. Whether he's, you know, going to be able to translate that athleticism immediately uh, to, uh, you know, the Pac-12 next year, we'll see. He's going to have to because i think you know the point that it, that Pat made is uh this team this program better get a lot better next year or else he's not going to probably get a kevin o'neill fourth year uh, uh i think you know you can't afford it you couldn't afford you know kevin o'neill to get it the probably the last two years on his contract and uh uh i don't i think that andy's not going to get another year after next year this Next year, they've
0: really got to be better. Uh, We've got one more for you. Well, actually, there's two more, two quick ones. Um, John in Oakland, he says, currently USC's incoming basketball class with two four-star recruits is ranked 16th, uh, right behind UCLA. I read that the Trojans will be playing games in this August in Europe. Do you know how many games and where also are the incoming freshmen allowed to go on the trip as USC players? If so, this seems like a great recruiting tool and should be done every summer love the podcast john in oakland
3: i'm gonna have to check on that john i don't know i don't know all the details for that uh i know um it really helped apparently uh kentucky's kids said that where they go to the bahamas i think uh this year and it was a big bonding experience i'm not sure if that's one of those ones where you have to be enrolled and when does it happen in the summer uh so that you know you are in school i'm guessing if you're in school you're definitely going to go yeah uh but i've got to check that out that's uh that would be uh, a really worthwhile thing i think for for this group especially if you can incorporate the two newcomers i think that that would be you know i i think you know unfortunately the last time usc did it they went to brazil and uh uh what's his, oh gosh what can i can't think of the point guard's name uh he had you know on the kind of the last play of the last game i guess it was suffered a significant knee injury and was out for the year, uh-huh. and so you know it did him more damage than uh, than it did him good. But uh, but that would be great. And I'll I'll check on that, and uh, that's uh, that would be something that that could be very positive.
0: All right, we got one more. Earl in West L.A. What's the story behind Byron Wesley's departure from USC? It was really hard to watch him play for Gonzaga, without thinking how a veteran guard could have helped turn some of those narrow losses into victories for usc ironically byron figured out that changing coaches can get you to the sweet 16 that's earl and west la
3: you know we never could put a exact you know put a finger on it exactly i mean we knew that there were issues we knew for example Byron got there. you know kind of missed the team bus for the long beach game and uh you know they uh You know, they set him out and ended up losing that game. And uh, we also know that for some reason, um, he was, I think he he was, he took uh, combined points scored and rebounds. He was the the number one guy in the Pac-12 and didn't get a single vote for the Pac-12 all-conference team last year, which was ridiculous. I mean, he obviously was good enough. To you know, be second team or honorable mention or whatever, as he's showing this year. But it just looked like USC wasn't the place for him, you know, to develop. And uh, and he decided he wanted to take a shot and um, go somewhere where uh, you know he could have a really good. He, he decided basically that next year, meaning this past year, wasn't going to be the year that USC was going to put it together. It was basically, I think, a vote of no confidence in the coaches. And, uh, yeah, it is uh, It is kind of hard, although the one good thing that USC is getting out of this tournament is every time Gonzaga plays and every time Wesley gets the ball, you hear, USC transfer, Byron Wesley. So uh, at least USC is getting mentioned uh, <laughs> in the NCAA tournament. But, uh, uh, but you know, and you got to give him this. He couldn't have done it had he not graduated. You know, so... He graduates from u s c which is a heck of a you know uh, feather in his cap to to get it all done and and move on and um, uh he you know, he picked a situation where he's not the star he didn't go someplace where he's going to be able to gun gun it up he went somewhere where um, they're going to play team basketball and he's going to be one of the guys, which is what he is now, and a facilitator and kind of a leader and um his you know it, it works really well with with gonzaga uh and the shame is that he didn't think that would work so well at u s c where he has his degree and invested all that time and and effort so uh uh i agree it's uh i'm happy for Byron but it is hard to watch uh and say uh gosh, why could not that have happened at u s c
0: yeah all right well Dan, great stuff we appreciate it, and thanks for all the questions and uh even some basketball questions, but we'll see you out there at practice tomorrow, Dan. Yes, we will. Can't wait. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thanks to Coach Harvey Hyde and everyone for sending in those questions. We really appreciate, appreciate you listening to the Peristyle Podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week.